0: Thanks for checking out Covenant's podcast. Our prayer is that God uses this message to impact your life. Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Well, it's a beautiful day. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm just going to come out right now and say that I just expect so much energy from you guys because the last service was... It was, it was hopping, and they woke up at like 6 a.m. to come to church. So you guys had that extra sleep, so I'm hoping that you guys are going to be alive. Before I even go any further, I just want to say, you know, um, uh, for, for me, I, I just want us to honor and praise God for Bruce Finn and the work that he's done over over a decade of serving in missions. Come on. Come on, church. You, can, you woke up, and you— And I'm going to say this, church. A decade, over a decade of dedicating, building foundations in uh, a, for this church, for all of us to connect with different places. And uh, Bruce is always the first; he was always the first one to go, right? And you find out if it's cool or not. Um, and so, Bruce, you just want to say thank you. We just appreciate you. We love you, and um, you have done a great job. You're not going anywhere, but you've done a great job in that space. Uh, and those are some big new balances for me to fit. Um, Put my foot in Um, So anyway, this morning we're going to dive into John chapter 5 So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to dive into John chapter 5 We're going to be reading from verse 1 to 17 Uh, Excuse my Bible, uh, but I just grabbed my wife's Bible Because I I prepared the sermon in a different version And this was the only Bible, so don't judge me Alright, chapter 5, verse 1, let's start and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to him, said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, Lord. We we just asked, Lord, this morning, Father, that you would uh, do a work in our hearts, that you would be the loudest voice in this room, that you'd speak to us, Lord, and lead us to life. I pray, Lord, that these words would be seeds that are planted in our hearts. That they wouldn't be gone quickly, Lord, but they would stay with us throughout the day, throughout the week. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and compassion toward us. Be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when we read this passage of Scripture, and as I was reading this this week... I was, I was just drawn in and taken in with even what's happening right now with uh, it being Orphan Sunday here at Covenant Church and for us focusing in on the missional heart of God and what God is calling us to do as a church, what God is calling us to do as individuals when it comes to those that have been abandoned, those that have been left, uh, those who, are, who have no parents, uh, what God is calling us to do for the poor, what God is calling us to do for, for those not just far away but but near as well um, I, was, I was looking at this and I was, I was drawn into just who Jesus is in this story And the different characters in this passage And um, for, for some historical context here um, the, These pools were located near the northeast corner of the old city Close to the Sheep Gate That if you've read the book of Nehemiah, you'll find that it's uh, in Nehemiah 3, I think, where Eliashib uh, rebuilds the sheep gate. And what the sheep gate was, it was the gate in which um, the sheep that were brought in to be sacrificed in the temple, that's the gate that they entered in. And so this is where these pools are. And and the reason why this this pool as we've read as well The reason why it's attracting uh, the the invalids, the paralytics, the the blind, the sick The reason why is because if you read in the King James It says that the waters would be stirred up by an angel And it was believed that if you were the first one in the water you'd be healed So everyone is waiting for that one shot And it says here that there are multitudes of people, and the multitudes of sick people, multitudes of hopeless people who are just, they've put all of their hope in, maybe I can be the first one in the water. And so they've renamed this place Bethesda, which means house of mercy or house of grace. They've gone, we're here, and this is why we're here And we find that Jesus steps in. He steps onto the scene. And we find that Jesus is in the place where all the rejected people are. Jesus is in the place that is messy, Jesus is in the place where people who have been put outside of the city, people who are left by themselves to only hope in this final hope, which is the stirring of this water, so that they may find their healing and be be brought back into community with others, Jesus steps into that place. Church, the first thing I want to draw to this passage is that Jesus is in the place where the rejected are. That Jesus is in the place where the abandoned people are. When I was looking at this passage, church, there's one question. There's one question that I, that I want to ask you from this is that, do you find yourself in a place where the abandoned and rejected are? You, you know, there's a place in, in, in Harare in Zimbabwe, and it's called 4th Street. It's like the Grand Central Station of, of, of Harare. And, and in there, there, there are all these people, the blind, the, they're, they're, they're the beggars, they're the poor, they're the, they're the lame. And they gather and they congregate because they, they know a lot of traffic comes through there. And I can tell you that it, it's not a desirable place. It's not the place you want to hang out all day. And you can imagine this 2,000 years ago in dusty Jerusalem, and you find that there's this stench maybe that exists there, and and, and there's this hopelessness, there's this pain and wailing and, 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 and crying out, and that's where Jesus is. Church, we we sometimes, uh, we want um, the the clean, perfect, you know, cushy church. But in reality, a church that's on mission with Jesus, our hope, our desire, our heart is that everyone feels welcome. And that people whose society has said, you don't belong, that they'll come here and we have a big banner that says, you're welcome here. That is the heart of Christ, Had those who have been abandoned, those who are far, they find a home in him and his people. And so church, as we see the story, Jesus walks into that. Church, I want to say this. A lot of us struggle with rejection. A lot more people who, who uh, than, than, than want, to admit, want to admit that they struggle with rejection. Rejection is a real thing. And I want to tell you that whatever it is that you hide, whatever it is that's hidden, whatever it is that's stashed away, whatever it is that you think is too ugly to bring to the light so that you may be healed, I'll tell you that we're not afraid of that. This is a place for those who have faced rejection. And so we find Jesus is in that place. The next thing we see here is that Jesus, uh, you know, and, and I love this, Rob preached this a few weeks ago. He says, like, this is intentionally Jesus' mission. Jesus says he came for the sick. Right, a few weeks ago, he was like, no, I came for Matthew and his text collector buddies. And then now here, he's like, I came for these guys that you don't want to be around. And Jesus is there in that place. And in the multitude of grief and difficulty and pain and disease, the next thing we see in this passage is that Jesus sees the one. Jesus sees the individual. Something wild here happens because there's no evidence in this passage that says that Jesus healed everyone. He just healed this one guy. In the midst of all that, in the Greek, it actually says that the multitudes, the word there is like they were stacked on top of each other, one on top of another. There was a multitude of sick people. And Jesus sees the one. Church, I don't know if you're like me or this has ever happened to you, but sometimes when you see mass devastation, it's very hard to humanize individuals. You just see them as a group of people that are struggling. It's very hard to look at individuals, but the reality, church, is for us, it desensitizes us. But when you can see a person and you get to know someone's story, what happens in your heart is they become human. Something happens in your hearts when you see the face of a child and know that their name is Tatenda. You're not just signing a check and shipping it off to Zimbabwe. This is a future. You can see the mannerisms of Tatenda in your own son. And then you say, Oh my goodness, Lord, I have to. I have to move. Jesus sees that. He sees the one. And Jesus moves toward this one guy who has been on his mat in Bethesda and he's been sick, he's been, he, he, he hasn't walked for 38 years. And Jesus goes toward that one person, he sees the individual. Church, I'm going to say this to you, the big excuse in my heart, and I'm just being real here, is that, Lord, what is helping one person going to do? Oftentimes in my prayers, God reminds me, what what does it look like to help one person? Rob, you know the story. It matters to the one person. Church, even if it's just one person, may our legacy of faith and the evidence that we walk with Christ, may we look back and go, this is who Jesus used me to restore. This is how good God is. This is what he used me to do in my life. So we see there at the pool, and in that hopelessness for 38 years, with this one in a million chance of when the waters get stirred up, they get in the water and they get healed. And and, and we find here that there's this misplaced hope, right? There's this misplaced hope because everyone who's there is waiting. Can you imagine when the waters are stirred up, the commotion? Can you imagine how chaotic it is when the waters are stirred up as people are pushing each other away? It must be brutal. There must be some people in Bethesda profiting, able-bodied people, right? Who are profiting and saying, if you Pay me when the water's stirred, I'll get you to the front of the line. This always happens. We know that. When there's great need and great suffering, there's someone who's able-bodied in that midst who's profiting from that. And so you find that in Bethesda, there's this misplaced hope. If I can just get into the stirred water, and then the living water steps into the scene. And then he says, in this misplaced hope uh, before I even move on church we all have misplaced hope what is your misplaced hope and the, growing up in Africa the misplaced hope I hear I still hear my friends if I can only get to America I'm like when you get to America you'll discover that there's so many problems yeah it's it's a misplaced hope Whatever that misplaced hope is for you if i can just get a promotion when you get a promotion and you have more responsibility you find out that you're getting more emails maybe your misplaced hope is in, in, in within your singleness if i can just if i can just get a, a man if i can just get a, a, a wife if i if i just had the one hey married people hands up you find out that wait a minute, I shouldn't have placed all my hope in that. See, church, the only if only we can get to that has hope is if only we can get to Jesus. The difference between the man in this story and the woman I preached about two weeks ago is that one of them is trying to get into the stirred water and the other was just trying to get to the fringe of his garment. If I can just get to Jesus, that's where the hope is. Only Jesus. And so we find as the story continues, I love this part, verse 6. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? I love that. Guys, you know, I just want to meet Jesus. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like when I'm in, you you know, like... instant response jesus you know like i'm there and i'm like jesus like i don't know what you're gonna say this guy's been on a mat for 38 years the bible says jesus knew how long he had been there what's the first question jesus asked him do you want to be healed the guy's like jesus wait a minute look around we're in bethesda all right look at the pool look at my legs jesus they're not moving of course i want to be healed Jesus asked him this question. But I believe Jesus asked this question for two reasons, church. The first reason, church, is this is a dignity restoring question. When you have been helpless for 38 years, I don't think many people have asked you what you want. You are at the mercy of people's aid they dictate what happens they're the ones who say uh, you know I, I was gonna drop you off it but there's have you ever not had a car teenagers what's up and you need your parents to get you from point A to point B it's on their clock and the dignity restoring question is what do you want the missional heart of the church should be even if we can see the obvious thing that's needed let us restore dignity by saying how can I help you when we're working in places like Zimbabwe when we're working in places that are down the road like Barclay we should ask we should be we shouldn't dictate what happens there we should ask and be led by the people who are there but it's hard right because I, I know why uh, every culture has its flaws, and, and you guys are fixers. You're like, don't worry, we're going to fix it. Don't worry, we're going to fix it. Don't. Boom. Growing up in Africa, church, I would see these dilapidated buildings that were built by well-meaning people. <laughs> and they just never asked if the people wanted those buildings. Let's go build a school. Okay, we're gonna go and build a school. And they go and they build the school and you get there and the people are like, I don't know why they built a school. What do you want? Do you wanna be healed? Restore dignity. When you're helping someone, how can I help you? When we're serving people, Even if their need is obvious to us, how can I help you? Church, we have to get that. That changes our missional mindset. It stops us looking at people like they're useless. We just look at them like they don't have resources. That's all they lack. They just lack the opportunity that we have. How can I help you? And the next thing is, there's a responsibility to healing. We find in this passage, Jesus is asking him essentially, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? And being made whole comes with consequences and responsibility. If you haven't walked for 38 years, your ability to walk is going to open up a lot more opportunities. If you haven't walked for 38 years, guess what? Your whole community is Bethesda. If you haven't walked for 38 years, everyone you know, everyone who's close to you, your small group, your friends are all blind, lame, or it's just that's your community. So in in becoming whole you have to change your 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 settings that's why Jesus says get up and walk you're going to have to leave Bethesda and, church, there is a spiritual implication to this because Jesus sees this man later on and he refers to his spiritual state. He says, See, you're well. And he says, he says Make sure that you, 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 you don't sin anymore, or else something worse will happen to you, which we'll get to you at the end. But Jesus says this because there's, there's a spiritual connection here, at church, that I need to point out. When you became a Christian, right? When you got up and you started walking, your community was going to change. You couldn't be around the same people right in that moment because now you were different. And for some of us, we become whole in Jesus' name. We're made whole, but we stay in Bethesda. For some of us were made whole, but we sometimes pretend that our legs don't move so that we can fit in to the culture and Bethesda. You're whole. Get up and walk. Your faith, church, and your walk with Christ, you need to look at the surroundings around you and say, either you are leaving and you're walking and you're different, or if you're still in Bethesda, you need to proclaim to everyone who's sitting that I I have been made whole by Jesus. After you've been made whole, we've got to walk. And here's another startling thing in this passage of Scripture, church. After you've been made whole, not everyone's going to be happy for you. Not everyone is going to be happy for you. We find here verse 10 to 13. We find it says here so so the Jews meaning the religious leaders said to the man who had been healed, "It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed." So this guy who was in Bethesda, who was who had been lying on this mat, The very thing that makes you comfortable in your stuckness by the way that's what Jesus asked you to pick up and he's on his mat and he and he gets up and he says let me go to the temple let me go to the temple but at the temple the people aren't happy for him let's just call this guy Chris for a second Chris gets up from Bethesda and he goes I can walk And he looks around and was like, hey guys, Chris can walk. Chris is walking, guys. And he's skipping. He's like, look at my new legs. Who did this? He doesn't even know who did it. He's just skipping and he gets to the temple. He's holding his little Lululemon mat and he's like, yay. And then as soon as he gets to the temple, the religious leaders go, why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? He's like, wait, wait, guys. I, I, I know it's a thing, but look at my legs. Guys, I can dance now. I can skip, I can jump, I can walk, I can run. Guys, look at me, I'm well. Yeah, 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 but what about the mat? Church, religious, relig- religion in a bad way, religion looks at the mat and cannot see the moving legs. It can't see the miracle. It focuses in on the thing, on on the tradition. It focuses in on the letter of the law instead of the person the law is pointing to. Hey, Jesus, you did something that didn't quite fit our book. He's Jesus. Don't miss the point, church. And we are so susceptible to do that. We are so prone to do that, especially in the temple. But it it, it doesn't quite fit, and we miss the miracle. We miss what Jesus is doing. I started reading up, and I was like, why did Jesus always do this on the Sabbath? Why did Jesus heal so many people on the Sabbath knowing what was going to happen? But if you, if, you, if you study this, you find that the Sabbath was actually something that God created in order to give people rest. But what man did was they took it and they had added all these little other laws attached to the Sabbath and they had become a a weight on people's shoulders instead of something that's freeing. And that's what we do when we take something that God has given us and instead of just adding the living water to it, we add all our little fixings and it's messed up. Anyone ever made pancake mix and tried to be too creative with it? It's just add water. I'm like, well, but what if we put some baking soda? There's baking soda in there. Well, if you put two eggs, blah, 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 and you mess it up. It's bisquick for a reason. It's supposed to be done quick. Just add water, you're done. And so we find that, and I'll say this, church, it's so easy to become that. You know, we look and we like, look at the religious leaders in the day that Jesus, how did they miss Jesus? It's so easy to become that. We have to guard our hearts. It's one of the things we don't talk about guarding our hearts over the most. Having a religious spirit that cannot celebrate someone walking who hasn't walked for 38 years, but is looking at if all the boxes are checked. I'm prone to it. You are prone to it. And our prayer is that the Lord would, re- would release us from that and free us. And so finally we see here in verse 14, Jesus catches up with him. He that Jesus, look for this guy jesus he found him in the temple jesus is looking this is the follow-up call this is that call when you come to church and we phone you and we say hey thanks for visiting covenant church we're going to give you a starbucks gift card jesus is doing that and jesus finds him in the temple and he says see you're well see you're getting stronger Maybe when he started walking, it was a little wobbly, but Jesus, is like, see, you're well. And then Jesus says this: He says, "Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you." What is worse than being on a mat for thirty-eight years and stingy, um, um, broken, hot um, uh, Bethesda? Jesus connects this man's wholeness to a spiritual state and says, there's something worse than lying on a mat for 38 years. It's eternity without God. Leave that life of sin. Do not sin. Do not sin. You know, Jesus, he points this out in the Word so many times, and that's the, the fact that there a, a, is a hell, the fact that there's an eternity without God, church, if we do not talk about that, the, it, it, takes, it, 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 doesn't, it takes away from the magnitude of God's grace and his mercy upon us. Jesus points to this and he says, you don't want that. You don't want this eternity without God, without the Father. Church, you don't want it. I don't want it, and so we rest in the fact that Jesus is the one who has purchased through coming through the. He is the gate. He says in John ten. He is the. He is the way. He is the truth. It is through His life, through His sacrifice that we find this life. And he says, there is something worse than everything that we go on in this earth. There's something worse than 2020. Ah, nothing. There's something worse than that. And it's eternity without God. And you don't want that. So we rest in the gift that Christ has given us on the cross. And so we find here, after finally knowing who had healed him, this man has two options. And his two options are he can either run back to Bethesda with his new legs, and he can say, guys, I now know the person who healed me. It was Jesus. He can run back to the broken. He can run back to the hopeless, who have been putting their hope in the water and the pool, and he can say, guys, I found the real deal. You know me. You saw me for 38 years. Look at the transformation in my life, and it's because of Jesus. He could have run there. Because church, that's where we ought to run. When we've been made whole, we ought to run back to the places that we used to be because that place is the place where people can see the evidence that you've been changed because they knew you when you couldn't walk. That's the place where people are in awe of the miracle the most because they knew what you were before. And trust me, that good? They see the miracle, but instead he runs to the religious leaders, and he tells them that it was Jesus that healed me. I feel when I look at this, in reality, in fact, I know that there was a price to pay for breaking the law on the Sabbath, And he didn't want to face those consequences because religion can be intimidating. I'm pretty sure there was an intimidation and he felt like, I I don't want to be excommunicated on my first day back. I'm going to go and tell them it was Jesus. And we find that when when the religious leaders find Jesus, when they see him and they interrogate him, I love what Jesus says. He says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. You know, Jesus is not closed on Sundays. He's not Chick fil A. He's working. Even when we don't see it, He's working. In our story, He's working. In your life, He's working even if you don't know it, even if it's been 38 years, he sees you, he knows you, he's working. We're going to watch a video, church, when that I illustrates was this so beautifully.
1: In college, Just I take had the opportunity to spend a week uh, working in an orphanage, and that's really when I saw, was made aware of the need
0: for uh, the care for these children that have, have no one taking care of them. Uh, a few years ago, that's when we decided... Yeah, we can't ignore it anymore. You know, this is, we really feel called to pursue
1: adoption. And And I would say a big part of that is um, the ministry of covenant and just the clear heart for um, the care and concern of orphans. Um, And just, yeah, we continually felt uh, pressed through um, that ministry that uh, this was something that God Ass of his people um, and that he sets them lonely in families and so that just kind of became part of our heart.
0: Like, all right, God, that's you know, we're gonna assume the sea are leading here and we're gonna we're gonna step pursue. Into it. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna step into it.
1: I think like many things in life, you think the finish line is at a certain point, um, and then it becomes clear like no God's story is never over. There's always a new chapter. There's always something else that he's going to ask us to step into. And um, what ended up happening was uh, we traveled to South Africa in July of 2019. And around that time, um, the government of South Africa um, was just dealing with some real corruption. And they changed some Uh, Laws with no authority to do so, and it left us essentially stuck Um, in South Africa. They wouldn't administer a uh, passport for our son to be able to come home. And so um, what we thought was going to be six weeks, which honestly felt long enough to be in the country, ended up being 18 weeks. And um, I think if I'm asked, like, how do you see God showing up, in your adoption story that is the thing that will forever stand out to me because i think um it is easy to fall into a narrative that jesus is kind of like a magic wand waver and things will just be perfect if we follow him and things are going to be easy and things will fall into place and um there's scripture doesn't teach that and that's definitely not our lived experience um But what we did see and what we continue to see in just raising a child with some challenges is um, that Jesus does not leave us alone in our pain. Um, He is familiar with it. And as much as he can identify with us and what we're walking through as um, parents of this child who we deeply love but um, came to us out of brokenness Um, he also can identify with Johnny and with the pain and loss that he has experienced Um, and understanding Jesus on that kind of deep level and just having him walk out our grief with us um, is something that truly has forever changed us Um, and the way that we look at um, you know what it means to really follow Jesus. Um, it's not a um, easy or simple path, but it's filled with great comfort
0: um, and great provision. Amen. Let's give him a hand, church. <clears throat> what, a, what a powerful story of Jesus, of, of using our, our legs to run to those in need, to run where Jesus is calling us to. Church, let us be led in the same way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence, Lord, in this place. We thank you, Lord, that you are not a lost hope. You're not a dead hope. You're not a finished hope, but you're a living hope. You're alive. And so, Father, we just pray now, that hope that never fails, that hope that is an anchor for our souls, Lord, that we would be truly, truly, truly anchored in you, Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, we would keep our eyes on you. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. <laughs>